Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Moon. Yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. If you're hearing this, you survived this year's Friday the 13th. Well done, friend. But can you withstand a jail full of zombies and an interview? <laughs> ah, yeah, no, of course you can. This is going to be dope as hell. Come on in. This week, I talked to Casey Whalen, the patron saint of podcast audio drama. There's zombies, craft of audio fiction, and force multipliers of art. This is Radio Drama Revival. Hey folks, welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the podcast that showcases the diversity and vitality of modern audio fiction. I'm the low priest of shrieks, the king of the freaks, the guru of gruesome that nobody seeks, the bishop of badness, the sultan of sin, the devil, he blushes when I saunter in, the exuberant, the extremely indulgent, the unspeakably vain David Reinstrom. What's up? It's Halloween time up in here. I'm going to start every show this way from now on. No, I am not. This is just a special October curation of my personality. You're welcome. Now, since it is October, we here at Radio Drama Revival are committed to bringing you the creepiest audio fiction this planet has to offer, because October is the month when we like to scare the crap out of each other. That's why, at the time of this recording, the United States is simultaneously underwater and on fire. This week, we bring you Casey Whalen's We're Alive Lockdown. Casey has been making audio drama for over a decade. In the United States, I think it's fair to say he was one of the first audio drama podcasters, one of the reasons that this genre exists in this medium the way it does. And he makes action-adventure horror stories about zombies. Zombies, or infected, in the world of We're Alive operate under rules halfway between magic and pathology. Zombieism is transmissible through bites and scratches, the infected have acute senses of smell, there's some other mystical stuff going on too, but we don't have to get into that. We're Alive Lockdown takes place in the same universe as Wayland's original We're Alive series, and uses characters from the original show as a frame narrative. If you're familiar with the original show, you'll hear some voices you recognize. If you aren't familiar with the original show, don't worry about it. Settle back and listen in to episode one of We're Alive Lockdown. This audio theater contains loud, sudden noises and mature situations. Listener discretion is advised. Got any TP left? Yeah, check my bag. Be quick about it. Unless you're wiping for me, I'm taking as long as I want. Yeah, take your gun, just in case. Yeah, like I wouldn't. You want any of my beans? I'm full. 
I'm good. Can I have some? Did you say something? What? Not good enough? Yeah, at least I cooked your rat. This time. <laughs> How much further is this place? Hour. Maybe two. Once it gets a little darker, we'll head out. The package ready? Yep. And so is our delivery boy. What's wrong? Don't look so sad. But once you take this to the colony, you'll be free. You want that, right? I don't know. You sure you don't want him to stick around? I might miss him. I know I will. Promise is a promise. Murphy, hurry it up. I'm trying. You hear that? No. Use your blade. Can't get found out now. We're too close. My what? I'll do it. You just sit there. Watch him. I, I won't. Shh. Weasel, what is it? Someone's breakfast. What the hell? Oh, shit, they found us. I see him. No! Shit! Hey, don't get any ideas. Use the pipe box! The sound! Who cares? Shoot, don't shoot 
not with them. I'm not with them. This is their hostage. I was. Can you cut me loose? Just look at my wrists. <laughs> I'm not falling for that. Just sit there and shut your face. I don't understand. Why can't you take them off? Reasons. You just stay like that for now. Help me with the machine gun. I'm taking it. What else they got here? Holy shit ton of explosives. They were going to force me to drop those off to the colony? Is that you? That's where they were headed? They were gonna hit us. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> we got a bunch incoming. A few pipe bombs left. Here. I'll give us some cover. Get down! Can you not use those? I just got pieces falling all over here. Oops. I need a reload. There's no more ammo for that. We gotta... Oh, wait. Here she comes. Pickups here. Fall back. Hostage, on your feet. Get in. Hop over, CJ. I'm driving. Coming. Coming. More incoming. Buy us some time. Help me with Raja! I got him! Alright, everyone in? Go, go! Drive through! Hold on! Come on, man. Hang in there. They're still following us! Throw these out the back! The pipe bombs? What about Shrapnel? Just do it! A-team's moving. Everyone else, load into your trucks and get back to the checkpoint. You. We're fine. This the hostage? Or you captured one of them? No, I, I mean, yes, I, I mean, I, I'm not one of them. See, they held me captive. Come on, Roger. And... Come on. No, oh, come on, man. Come on. Hey, give me the paddles. Give me the paddles. Come on! Come on! Swap trucks at the outpost, then head back to the colony. You mind getting in the turret? No problem. What about me? We'll get to you. All three Maulers? They're dead? Yeah. You were right. We picked that up from Weasel. You brought the bombs with us? I pulled the detonators. Relax. There's enough in that bag to take down an entire stretch of wall. Raj didn't give his life for nothing. They'll get a proper burial when we get back. I promise. Sorry. You don't happen to have any extra food, do you? I only had a rat for breakfast. You don't get shit until we know that you are really their hostage. But the ropes aren't enough? Ah! How do you expect me to prove? As long as you tell me the truth, 
You'll be fine. Of course. Anything I can... What's your name? Simon. Eklund. Or Simeon, but I go by Simon. How long were you their captive? They grabbed me a few weeks back while I was scavenging for food. They took me in. And... Well... Then what? Made you their little bitch? <laughs> oh, they really did. Sorry, dude. That sucks. What could I do? There was no way out. Yeah, we've heard sob stories like this before. Remember Kalani? I'm well aware of what happened with him. Wait, what? Who? He thinks you might have been working with Weasel. Look at my hands! The bruises on my face! Yeah, well, he had scars, too. They're tricky. You think that I'm one of them? I don't even know who they are! Or any of you are! The only thing I overheard was something about a colony or whatever! That's all I know! They just dragged me along! Hey, okay? hey, hey! Alright? Dial it back! Breathe! All we care about is that you weren't in lockup with them, okay? Let me see that list. She's just trying to make sure you're not a Molly. What? Don't look at me. I didn't give them a stupid nickname. They were inmates left over from Eastern Bay. A prison not too far from here. Weasel may have been the last holdout. Bunch of a-hole convicts. I can't find Simeon or Simon on the list. Unless he's lying. You have any ID on you? No. Well, maybe. You have it or you don't. It'll prove that you're not one of them. You should hand it over. I have this. It's my ID tag. It has my name on it. You wore that around your wrist? Is it a hospital thing? Something like that, but I didn't want to show it because... There's an inmate number on this! I knew it! Fucking liar! You were in lockup, just like the mall! I saw the road, Bert! Wait, who? Yes, no, but no, no! But you were an inmate! How else you get this? I was, but it wasn't... So, you are from Eastern Bay. What? No, I I didn't go to prison. All right, but you just said... Already that. trying to lie to us. What? No! I'm slowing down. Open up the door. <gasps> Why slow down? Smaller roadkill. Ah! Jail! I was in jail! You don't know the difference between a prison and a jail? Come on! I was never in Eastern Bay, but, but I was a thief. I stole stuff, that's it. I swear, I'm not a bad guy. I'm not a bad guy. Just don't kick me out there, please. That was before everything that happened. I'm different now, I swear to God. I have made a mistake before. Please don't throw me out. <laughs> Can you at least stop? I don't know what a baller is. I don't know any of you. Close the door. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Don't thank me yet. Well, even if he wasn't with the lifers, he's still a convict. Is he worth keeping around? That's for me to decide. Weasel was one of those maulers you're talking about? What'd they do? How much time you got? Maulers a nickname for anyone from Eastern Bay. They got out. Got organized, took up camp in a strip mall, killing anyone who had something they wanted. So, we stomped them out. At least most of them. 
You understand what kind of people they are. Our rally point's coming up. I do. If they're anything close to Weasel, I do. I get why you'd hate them so much. But it sounds like there were a lot. But how were they able to get out of their prison? Someone broke them out. They were lucky then. Well, lucky for them. Obviously not you. I didn't think we'd ever make it out of the Twin Towers. Twin Towers? The jail? You've heard of it? Oh, man. Let me see that ID again. You weren't there when he was, were you? When? When were you there? Tell the better end. Wayland Productions presents... We're Alive. Lockdown. Part One of Six. can't see us in there, can he? One-sided mirror. Glad we're actually using this place for once. Did he get enough to eat? Yeah, just a snack in the van last night, and he's got his breakfast right now. What do you think? Was he there? At the same jail? From the little I talked to him, it seemed like he knew the place. How else could someone know that much? You gonna stay in here? This might take a while. Some major construction going on over at the training center today. All hands on deck, so I gotta go over there for that. I got Oliver to fill in. But man, I wish I could hear what he has to say. <laughs> I'm recording it. You won't miss a thing. Yeah, but now I gotta wait. You gonna be okay? Oliver has a radio. He'll call if there's any issues. And Simon's changed the table. What's he gonna do? Truck, I, I, I didn't see that you lost it. This isn't about me, this is about you. Remember that. Fun's all gone, huh? Not that there was any to begin with. Oliver, you're recording? Everything you say will be recorded and reviewed. If there's any discrepancy in your statement... There won't be. I, I've got nothing to hide. I'm counting on it. You done with breakfast? Yeah, it was terrible and... For me, that's saying something. I just got off an all-rat diet. We don't always have the best, but at least no one starves. You tell me what we need to know, and maybe I can arrange something special. We? 
You mean the colony? That's this place? I saw the big walls coming in. You got like a whole city here? Well, that's pretty impressive. It took a lot to get to this point. It's a very long story and we need to focus on you. Okay, let's knock this out. Where do we start? Puck already read you the rules of the colony? He did. Alright, so just so that we have it on tape, you understand that any physical assault will result in exile from the colony, and any assault resulting in death will be grounds for execution. I get it. I'm not going to attack you. Is that what you're getting at? The rules aren't just for you. They apply to anyone living here. We deal with enough violence as it is. We don't need to have it in our home, too. Ghosts for me, too. Because if I say something that you don't like, and then you... You are safe here. Then do I really have to be in chains? I'm not going anywhere. There's a process. We don't just let anyone in here. We need to know who you are first. Make sure your story checks out that you are who you say you are. So my ID bracelet wasn't enough? A name and an inmate number isn't much to go off of. But if everything checks out, you might be able to stay. You'll put in a good word for me with whoever's in charge? That would be me. Oh. And you do all the interviews yourself? A case like yours sometimes requires special attention. Especially given where you came from. Oh. Because of those maulers or whatever you called them. Look, there's not much to say. I got out of jail, wandered around on my own for a while. They grabbed me. Not much else. What about before? How'd you get out of jail? It... It wasn't easy. A lot of people died. I'm gonna need more than that. Does it matter? It does. A lot. How did you get out? The only person we've met to survive Twin Towers Jail. Must be tough as nails. It wasn't just me. I had help. I didn't even do a lot. And trust me, you, you, know, you don't have anything to fear from the weak little man before you. Weasel knew that. Stories of the outbreak are told by the strong. The weak don't have any. It's okay. Whatever happened, we've heard it all. <laughs> you wouldn't even believe me. A group of our soldiers had the misfortune of going inside Twin Towers Jail. Probably a while after you left. Only one made it out alive. Left a lot of questions I'm hoping you can help fill in. If you're so interested, why not go back there? Find the surveillance footage or whatever. I just don't want to relive it again. We tried. There was an electrical fire. You may be the only chance I have to know what really happened in there. And if I don't? Not saying I don't agree, but... But I just want to know what my options are. You'll be sent out of the gates just as you are. Alone. That worked out so well for you before. Fine. Where do you want me to start? My life's your open book. For the record, 
Why don't you state your name? Wait, I still need to slate. This is Chen Wei Jiang, July 14, 2010, approximately 10 a.m. And I go by CJ for short. Oh, uh, my turn. Okay, um, this is Simon or Simeon Lewis Eklund, inmate at Twin Towers Jail at the time of the outbreak. Age? Oh, uh, 28. No, nine now. My birthday was last week. I just remembered. You know, that's a hell of a thing to forget. You're from California? Yeah, born and raised. And not to cut your whole life story short, but what'd you do and how did you end up at Twin Towers Jail? I dropped out of high school. A buddy of mine hooked me up with a job at a machine shop. But then that went belly up about a year before the outbreak. Obviously, you did something to end up in jail. You said you were a thief? I stole a truck. A buddy asked me to. Some shipment of electronics or something, and I got caught later on, ended up in the Twins. How long were you in the jail before the outbreak? Probably about two months. I was set to be transferred upstate on the day of the outbreak. May 8th. Are you sure? Oh. I'm sure. Well, I was moved to T-Block. That's what they call the transportation wing. It was sort of a holding area where you wait to get on a bus for the courthouse. Small place, just one main hall with a few cubicles carved into the side. Two offices, one padded cell and one bigger holding room where most of us were stuck. T-Block was for people waiting to go somewhere. Not just court, but other places too. Jails, prisons, outside doctor appointment stuff. Really whatever. Inmates, Is he here yet? Is this him? Trust me, you'd know if it was. Uh, who's coming? No one. This way. Inmate walking. Danny, grab the keys to the holding room. Any problem with the other transfers? No, uh, seems like a pretty mild bunch. Not like the last group. Good. I need a quiet day for once. Here's Jeremy Andrews' transfer papers. Thank you. I'll add them to the list. Your bus won't be here for another two hours. Might as well get comfortable. These are the ones, right? Yes. Open it. Well, they stuck me in the holding room, filled with benches that chain you to the floor. You know, we were supposed to wait things out there till a ride came. It was way worse than my normal cell. Not much else to do aside from staring at the wall. We? Yeah. There were three other guys already in there. Ah, damn, breeze, air. Can you just leave it open? No. Is my ride here yet or what? I gotta be there in about an hour. It'll get here when it gets here. You don't have any loner books or something to hold us over, do you? Inmate, why aren't you in chains? I'm a trustee. I'm, I'm supposed to help with the lunches for the bus. You sure? Let me see your wrist. All right, Jeremy. Well, from now on, stay seated while you're in here. 
Jeremy. <laughs> was kind of this pretty boy, tall, sort of looked like a, a greaser, slicked over hair, thick eyebrows, and in decent shape. Well, how most of anybody there was, you had a lot of time to work out in the cells. He, he was in a blue jumpsuit, uh, low threat. Everyone had colors for their classification. Uh, I was tan. It's general pop. Is there some way we can get a book, magazine, anything? There's a tag on your underwear. Heard it's a good read. Your wife's read mine cover to cover. When you only take ten seconds, you can do that. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I forgot to take off my wedding ring one time. And of course, Chuck there notices it right away. Don't give these shits anything. You'll never hear the end of it. Who's that? She knew? Me? Eyes to yourself, Miller. Look out. He knows your name now. He should. I'm in here almost every week, and please. We go by first names in here. No need to further dehumanize us. The oldest guy of the bunch, Chuck Miller. <laughs> kind of a crusty-looking black dude. Guy'd been in the twins for, like, ever. Knew about everybody, everything that went on there. Real good memory for useless stuff. I think he was a numbers guy for some big company or something. I think he got in trouble for trimming some of those numbers off the top. Yellow-blue jumpsuit, so maybe Medward? I don't remember. Danielle, is it? Mind your own business, inmate. Leave Deputy Tinnaker alone. I was just being polite. The only thing any of you need to concern yourself with is waiting quietly. This isn't hangout time. You're here to get somewhere. That's it. Those are a bit tight. Get used to it. Want me to loosen it up? The inmate's fine. Come on. We have to deal with the other transfer. You, you put more people in here? It's hot enough as it is. At least leave the door open. See? I told you something's going on. Fucking dyke. The chick? No. No, she's lovely. Mark. Dykstra's his last name. And who in the hell are you? Simon. Simon, huh? See what I can do with that. Simon. Simon. You knew? Couple months. Where'd you come from? 27. All the way up there, huh? Don't know anyone by that name from the 20 wing. There was a Simeon, I think. S seriously? How did you... Ah, uh, he's a freak. Freak with a good memory. Yeah, still a freak. You're one to talk, Bogart. All those words just flown off the top of your head? What, like songs? Yeah, something like that. I don't know if I can rhyme with Simeon or Simon. How about semen? Close enough, about the color of this guy's face right now. <laughs> How'd you know my name? I got friends. And you all know each other? We talk. We only been in here together for the last two hours. Just try shutting Chuck up. <laughs> and look out for Bogart. I'll try to recruit you. I'm not very good at music. If only that was it. Well, I'm sorry. What am I supposed to do? I don't have a view of the door like some of you. Some of us only have the art of conversation to keep us company. Uh, you're not missing much. And what do you mean, recruit? I'm trying to save people. One man's religion is a wiser man's cult. All I do is seek a dialogue, to understand and serve those around me. Is that so wrong, to give hope in darkness? Ogart, I think, was a Catholic? I don't know, but he was a sort of stringy black guy. Short, dark hair, big smile. Great teeth. Yeah. Another blue jumpsuit. 
Whatever makes you happy. Just leave me out of it. See, that is why you don't talk politics or religion. You're just gonna tick someone off. And could you please watch the door? I don't want to miss whatever's going down. Like what? I'm telling you, it's not worth... Yes? Okay. Maybe you're right. You're acting kind of funny. Did you see anything while you were out there? Well, I wouldn't know what to look for. Anything? Red flags on transfer papers? Any change of personnel? Or even Mark's cologne to impress the new girl? I thought he was married. What part of he's a dyke did you not understand? All of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're checking the padded cell across the hall. I think someone's in there. Must have just moved them in. And we missed it thanks to you two. Who is it this time? Ah, can't see. Bill the Biter? Maybe Stabby. I heard he has a trial date coming up. Oh, maybe they moved him up from solitary finally, sending him off. He'll cut you. He'll gut you. He'll stab you with the shiv. The kind of suffering and pain that made you wish you never lived. With your life in his hands, you know his decision. Judge, jury, executioner. Still blade precision. I actually like that one, Bogart. Not the others? They were good, too. Mostly. Y you just make all that up? Yeah. Could be Funk in there, but we'd definitely smell it if it was him from here. So, Chuck, Bogart the Rapper, and Jeremy. Yep. Three people in here and you give me the title to remember? Sorry, I... Wait, what is that? Next hall over. They couldn't put her in here. Quiet. But... Quiet. Who? Jody. No one else with her in the chick cell. She's getting bored. She knows I'm in here. Quiet for a second. Girlfriend? <laughs> Why, you a soap dropper? <laughs> Bogart. One long, short, then too long. You think you're funny? She got it. Oh, you're talking with her through the wall. What'd she say? She must have seen you when you walked by her hall earlier. Must have piqued her interest. Just now she asked if you were cool. I said no. What? <laughs> Seriously? Pretty hot, too. I think she's headed upstate, same bus as you and Jeremy. Who knows, you might have got a peek at something. Not now. <laughs> no, I'm joking. That's not like Jody. She just asked if we were in here. But seriously. Call me a fag again? Do it. Uh, Easy, Chuck. It's not worth it. Not today. Been here a couple of months? Surprised you lasted that long. My block would eat you alive. Try seven years in this shithole. You learn a few things. Manners for one. And who the fuck some people are. So, anything new out there, Jeremy? There's someone else checking in on the padded cell. Really makes you wonder who's in there. If it's Ernie, he owes me lunch. Fucker better pay up before he gets sent away. Wait. How do you know I was going upstate? Oh, that new chick, Danielle, needs to learn how to cover her transfer paperwork better. Said your name under two. What block you're from? Where you going? How'd you think I knew your name, dumb shit? You said <laughs> you heard of me. But you thought I did. And what impression did that give you? That I'm important? And it's true. No one's heard of some worthless little shit stain like you. Easy, Chuck. Give me a break. You've pissed in all the corners. You happy now? You're new, so let me teach you something. Pay attention to anything and everything. You never know what might be useful. See Jeremy there? He's watching right now. 
counting how many guards go in and out, when they move, what they're doing. Everything and anything. I'm doing what now? Why? Why? Why the fuck not? What else you got to do? Dude, you're gonna get all worked up again, man. Today's your day, right? Yeah. Yeah, today is my day. Seven years and today is my day. 2,605, but who's counting? Chuck's trial has had a lot of delays. That sucks. You missed the entire first hour in here when he told us every detail. You know what the worst of it is? Even if they find me guilty, the sentence can't even be as long as I've been here. I'd be a free man by now. I wonder if they'll give me some back pay or something. Oh, hold up. You got another one incoming. More people in here? Um, Chuck, it's Fredo. Even better. He'll take up the space for four. Sounds like a popular fella. I can see why. He's massive. But it's not just his size that people know. He's known. Jeremy, sit back down. I'm going, I'm sitting, and welcome. You trying to be funny? Don't try anything, Fredo. On the bench. Thanks, Gavin. We got him from here. Uh, what did he say? He said, learn Spanish. You're not gonna give us any trouble, are you? I got enough on my hands today. Good. Hook him up. A Seneca Tusmanos. What? You're all not so chatty now. Fredo. Huh. Was the biggest, meanest Mexican I'd ever seen. Tats covered his neck, arms, all over. He wasn't fat, but not like a bodybuilder either. The, the guy was a 350-pound monster. Yeah, red jumpsuit. He came from Block 8, which was a very bad place. The forklift will be here later to pick you up. Just stay, okay? Okay? To autobus llegará en cinco. Gracias. What about us? Clock's ticking for me. All the buses are running behind. You're gonna have to deal with it. Can you at least call ahead? I don't want them to have to reschedule. Again. Please. I swear, if I miss my appointment... Yeah, what, what are you gonna do, really? Aside from complaining more to us. So, who is he? Wait, he doesn't speak English, right? Why don't you ask him? I don't think I want to. Well, me either. There's a few people you don't piss off here. I'm high on that list. But he's... He's near the top. Once Fredo was in there, everybody shut up. Every time I looked over, he was gazing off into nothingness. But I swear, felt like he was staring at me. Everyone knew he was dangerous, but... I didn't know how much until Chuck talked to me later. And what did he say? I'm, I'm getting there. So, it's a little later in the morning, and no one has said a word since Fredo showed up. Eventually, they pulled him out into the hall to finalize his transfer or something, and Fredo. we could talk again. Hey, I'm so late right now. Come on, Mark, what's going on? Inmate? When I hear something, I'll let you know. We have the other transport here. Is, is that ours finally? No, this is a special van. Sorry, Chuck. 
Danny, don't. Just get back here. She's at least being helpful. Inmate walking. This is getting fucking ridiculous now. I'm gonna miss everything. Give them even more excuses to delay. Easy, Chuck. You'll get there. We're gonna be sipping cocktails in Venice Beach real soon. Just hang tight. You might be doing that alone now. You're getting out too? Maybe. Here's hoping. Uh, getting ready to move whoever's in the padded cell. Ha! Just gave him nice clothes to change into. Well, at least somebody's going to court today. Ask him. M maybe we can tag along. I don't care if it's funk. I'd suffer for the ride. Maybe it'll just reschedule for tomorrow. You know how many times I've heard that? See anyone yet? Only Fredo blocking my view. Yeah. Oh, thanks, buddy. Who is that guy? Fredo? Yeah, like, why do we need to worry about him? I don't really know enough about him to even say anything. Fredo Brazoria is a hitman for Mexicazi. Mexi who? Mexicazi's a low-level gang, bunch of thugs. You say that now, when they're not around. Now watch me. You're serious shit. You better be careful, man. Uh-huh. Not a man alive in here doesn't fear Fredo. Lots of friends. Rumor has it. He started hitting for someone new, somebody big. How big we talking? You didn't hear it from me. But he's not just working for the Kazi anymore. He started doing jobs for one of the families. Bullshit. I'm serious. I heard it from a good source, too. Said someone on the outside pulled some connections, and they're getting them out. They wouldn't hire a two-bit thug like Fredo. That's if the families were real. Who wouldn't hire that man to do their dirty work? The families? That another gang? Kazi's a gang. Those people, they're something altogether different. You ever see The Godfather? No. Goodfellas? Nope. Unbelievable. All right, whatever. They're like a cross between Skull and Bones and the mob. Skull and Bones? A secret society. Whatever the families are, it's bullshit. Just con talk fairy tales. It ain't. I met one once. In here, no less. You did not. Cross my heart. I will call out my own bullshit. This guy was real. You got a name? Man, it was a while back. Was, was Dan or something. But he told me stuff. Their codes and rules. It's almost a religion to some of them. Like, what rules? They're not allowed to alter their minds. At all. No smokes, booze, nothing. No drugs. Uh, now I know you're full of shit. If they ever take out a weapon, they must draw blood. And if any one of them is killed, the rest have to track down who did it. The family can't progress until they pay a life for a life or something like that. He said there's three families left. Each of them have different rules, but they all work the same. Can't remember the name of the guy who told you, but remembered all that. Or, I don't want to say. Well, they can't progress? Do their business, or whatever the families do. He never told me what they did aside from that. Well, how come I've never heard of them? Because it's all con talk. Chuck enjoys screwing with you. You never heard of them because they know what they're doing, and they don't like to show off. They ain't talking all over about what they do like the Mexicazis. But someone just happened to talk about it to you. The guy with the biggest mouth. He also showed me his ring. They all get one when they prove themselves. Big thing, with like three circles on the front. But the, the guards would have taken that away. Snuck it in, he says. Was his ticket out? A few days later, he was gone. No one knew a thing. Disappeared. Inmate fairy tales, like I said. Whatever. Then watch. 
Fredo's got friends. Probably already got a ride out of here. The family he's working with got connections inside here, and they'll get him out. Because come on, why not? Fredo's been in here a tenth of my time. Why shouldn't he go? Where's my fucking bus? Oh, shit. Chuck! Shut up! You want me in there? Fine. Transport's waiting. Come on. Move it. Is Fredo leaving? I told you. No, no, not him. They're bringing whoever's in the padded cell. Oh. Ugh. Weird. And the winner is? I don't recognize him. He's covered in tattoos. Like how? All over his face. Both. You see this? Lean back. Yeah, yeah. But, but I don't... I don't know that guy. His head's still bleeding. Really fresh ink. That's his name. Our new celebrity. That's his name. Our new celebrity. What? Ink? You're just a fountain of knowledge. I may have overheard something, but you don't believe what I tell you. Why wait? You're gonna tell us anyway. Ink? Some high-profile murder case. All I know is my buddy Cohen got caught carving him and was sent down to solitary for it. And now this Ink guy is all over the news. He used to be a rich doctor or something. Must have paid Cohen off to tat him up like that. Worked up his entire head. Something seriously wrong with that guy. Or not. At the end of the day, sometimes crazy is the best chance you have to get out of here. Or maybe he's just trying to make a name for himself. He says no words. Just sits in dead silence. Signs on his face. A history of violence. How much longer is it going to take for the rest of us? It's a shame. If they got Cohen, they got his supplies. And he's going to be in solitary for a while. Supposed to finish something for you? Yeah, this. Uh, oh, okay. I got it. I got it. Musician thing, right? Oh, you going to keep doing that? I don't know. Something to try for after here? Figure I keep practicing my freestyle when I can. Give it a shot. Look at that. Cohen does good work, even with his shit tools. You got ink, Chuck? Yeah, and I'll scratch it off the moment I get out of here. Was from when I first got in. You were one of them. I did a lot of things I wasn't proud of, but I changed. Well, I don't get it. DCB? One of the black gangs. Fuckers harassed me when I first got here. It was a mistake to join. You get here scared as fuck. Someone's got to look out for you. Don't tell me no one tried to pick up on you yet. No. Guess nobody wants you. At least you're brand free. But some advice. If you're going upstate, you better learn to read people's marks. Fredo's got Kazi warnings up and down his arm. Just about everyone in here has one brand or another. Ink always tells you something about someone. Where they've been, who they're with, tells a story. You just gotta figure out how to listen. And what was that guy Ink's story? He was covered. I know tattoos. Never seen half that shit before. I don't know. 
I couldn't see. Maybe if I got a spot closer to the door. Dope shit. Hey. I'm sitting. Chuck, I called ahead and pulled some strings. They're holding a trial for you. Transport will be here in less than 20. Same for the rest of you. Traffic's been crazy. Danny, you are my goddess. <laughs> Someone in this dump actually does something for a change. Where were you so many years ago? <laughs> Congrats, I guess. Well, I would say it was nice to know you. We're getting out, Chuck! We're getting out! Yeah, man, we got to get up out of here. So those two went on a big circle jerk talking about all the stuff they were going to do when they got out. Bars, clubs, whatever. Went on for almost ten minutes. And finally, lined us up to get onto the buses. All right. Everyone on your feet. And you on your feet for restraints. Uh, I thought I was going to help with the lunches. I already took care of them. All right. Get out here and toe the line. Fredo. No, move back. Danielle, will you translate? Puerta en la línea verde, Fredo. Inmate, ice forward. Okay, look at this. I got this card here. You're gonna follow the line that matches the color of this card. It's not that difficult. We'll load you from there. I need to scan your ID bands. Hold out your wrists. McKibben. Where's Austin McKibben? He's on the list for court. Oh, I think he's still in solitary. Yeah, well, he's supposed to be up here. Someone better go bring him up. I need your help. Then walk. What the hell's he doing in here? Sorry about this. Drunk tank was overflowing, and this one starts being a problem. Lieutenant asked me to bring him here. Really? This place? There's nowhere left. With seven block under construction, they just keep packing him in. The other guy was the problem. Shut up! Eyes forward! Oh, look, he's bleeding. Ah, he got in a fight. Wasn't bad. Do we need to call medical? Yeah, look, I will in a minute. Throw him in a padded cell. We just emptied it. Get him out of the way for now. Come on, you, move! Whatever. Come on. Eyes forward! Can we get going now? You have everything? You leave when I say you can. They're damn tight. Look at my hands, they're blue. They'll have bigger sizes on the bus. Yo, Gavin, I'm trying to finish these reports over here, but I'm out of the carbon printouts. I have to finish Austin's form. I think we have some leftover in seven. Hurry up. They gotta get moving. They're already late. At least you acknowledge that. I'll be right back. Fredo, you too. You, there. You got it? Mm, told you. He's getting out of here. Watch. Really? Don't listen to him. All that matters is we're gone. Hey, no chit-chat. I got the female transfer. Finally getting out of here. Just toe the line. Hey, Chuck. Hello, Jody. Yes, this is Jody. Oh, Jody. She was pretty cute. Latina chick, really short, maybe five feet tall, skinny as a rail. Really a nerdy chick. Not what I would expect to find in a jail. Can I use the bathroom before we go? I was stuck in there a while. Give me a minute, I'll see what I can do. You're in my line? You headed upstate too? Yep. Hi, I'm Simeon. Hey, you forget where you are or something? Pipe down. I'll tell them we're ready. Okay, 
listen up. Same drill as always. Buses are pulling to Sallyport now. We're going to take you out there one at a time. If you step out of line, you will be tased. Don't think for a second that there's a chance you could slip away. Those big doors outside don't open until everyone's on board. All right? Inmate, you first. Danny will follow close behind. What about the bathroom? What now? Seriously? Seriously? Inmates, face the wall right now. Do it! Gavin, get back here. I need you. I'm on my way. What's... No! Come on! Not now! Turn around! Back in the holding room! Now! But well, well, what about my... The buses aren't going anywhere, and neither are you. Turn around, get back inside, or we start tasing and dragging. What about the female? I can't take her back now. Yeah, I need to go. Too bad. Put her in there, too. Just lock them all to the floor for now. Maybe just something in eight again. My wrists. I don't have time. Move! Okay, okay, I'm moving. Mm. Don't get any ideas. I will use this. Oh, man. Oh, locked in place. We're all good over here. Central's calling in for help in eight block. I knew it. This is bad. Sit tight. This may be quick. Doesn't sound like it. Oh, God. Lock down! Join us again next week for the continuation of We're Alive. Lockdown. Starring Michael Clark as Bogart, Kim Estes as Chuck, Colby Clayton Lamaster as Simeon, Leslie Yuve as Jody, James Quattrochi as Mark, Edward Zajac as Gavin, Rogelio Ramos as Fredo, Britt Rose as Danielle, Scott Marvin as Bert, Brett Newton as Puck, Constance Parm as CJ, and Stephen Weber as Jeremy. Written and directed by K.C. Wayland. Produced by Grayson Stone and K.C. Wayland. Casting director, David Seddon. Sound design, Grayson Stone. Music composed by Daniel Burkoff Hopkins. Associate producers, Christian Champagne and John Benditz. Additional sound editing, K.C. Wayland, Robert Bradley. Zinterns, Lauren Kroon, Chris Arnold. Anthony Nuno Jr. Graphic artist, Stanley Von Medvi. Voice cut editors, Michelle and Robert Montiel. Kickstarter graphics, Ben Hozak, Taryn Henderson, Will Pitney. Jail research, Ray Husky. Additional voices by Rio Magdaleno, Charlie Magdaleno, Joni Hadley, Chris Arnold, Greg Miller, Adam Young, Casey Whelan, Grayson Stone, Daniel Burkoff Hopkins. Wendy Lucas, Phil Nieto, Marcos Klassen, Catherine Eaton, Ryan Smith, and Joshua Kieser. To find out more and for a full list of cast and crew, please visit our website at we'realive.com. Thank you for listening to this Audio Theater for the Mind by Wayland Productions.
Casey Wayland has been on this show a whole bunch of times, but never with me in the hosting chair. So I nabbed him back in July, not long after he'd come back from the E3 conference. Casey's been real busy. Not only has he been making lots of zombie stories in the We're Alive universe, he also worked on Bronzeville, the period drama about vice and loyalty in a black Chicago enclave in the 40s, starring Lawrence Fishburne and Lorenz Tate. That's enough of a preface. Take a listen to my interview with KC. How are you? Very good, very good. How are you doing, man? Good. It's good to chat with you at last. How is fatherhood? How was uh, how was E3? Uh, it was great. Uh, all of the above is, is great. It's, it's really... It is one of the trickiest things in the world to try and balance having a being a father and being a producer at the same time and being a husband and being a friend and being a, just the list keeps on going on and on and on. So that gets complicated um, and gets really hairy as well, because to create art amongst chaos is not always easy. <laughs> um, but no, it's going great. Uh, E3 was a blast. We We got to connect with a lot of. A lot of people we didn't uh, ever, you know, get to see before in person. We got to actually make some connections with a few companies who are interested in a few things. And it's nice to to see games on the floor as well and sort of kind of be – in some ways, we're like an electronic, you know, entertainment medium in our own way. So it was kind of neat to be one of the, like, only podcasts there. And it was – it's kind of, kind of fun at the same time to be, you know – amongst the the giants like bethesda and all them and and get to go play their games and then you know before anybody else gets to go on the floor it's kind of fun sure and you have a couple connections to the world of gaming too don't you i saw that uh grayson works for doesn't grayson work for naughty dog now uh yeah he does he's he does uh audio for them now and no we have a lot of connections in the gaming industry because a lot of gamers like to listen to podcasts while they game and so it's a very connected realm (laughs) between the two I saw you had, uh, I don't know if this was your booth or just some sort of, I don't know, station in a lounge at E3. It kind of looked like a sandbagged concrete barrier. Yeah, that was, uh, that, so that was this, the uh, display that kind of let people know who we are and what we are. Um, but more or less, it was just kind of like a recharge lounge where you'd let just people sit down, plug in their phones. Uh, we had playlists there with iPods and headsets that you can like tap in and listen to the story if you want to. Or if you don't, we're not going to pressure you. You just got to relax and, and enjoy a, a little break on us kind of thing. And we were in, in tandem with uh, the Pro versus Joe uh, booth. So we, we kind of got to use uh, them as well. And because we're a veteran owned business, it kind of they helped out the nonprofit in that way. So it worked out pretty well for us. Oh, nice. So I was curious about how you and Grayson Stone first met. Uh, we actually met on the, in a midnight screening for, uh, Zombieland. Uh, he was going to the, cause he likes zombies and we, in the early stages of we're alive, decided to do a lot of guerrilla marketing and passed out CDs to people who went to the, this, the screening. Um, and he happened to be there and was like, he emailed me later. Like if we were interested in having him as an intern and I was like, sure, I don't know if, we can legally do that, but I, I'd love to, um, and s- kind of started from there and sort of brought him up in the, the audio world uh, and through a lot of We're Alive, and uh, now he's kind of gone off on his own. Because I, I, w- I was wondering what the what the timeline was of his continued involvement with Wayland Productions, because I heard, um, you know, he's he's credited as a dialogue editor in on Bronzeville. Yeah, no, he's a- he was actually a full full editor on Bronzeville. 
Uh, he did. He worked hand in hand with myself uh, through because I was a producer on it and he was the editor. Uh, we went back and forth and really worked together on that project. And uh, at the time, like we we knew lockdown uh, was going to be our last project together ahead of the end of it. And then uh, I knew Bronzeville was coming up too, so I I, I directly made sure and asked him like, hey, are you? Uh, do you want to stick on for this? I really would love you there. I, I can't rely on too many people, especially with this caliber of project. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I got it. And he he knocked out of the park, did a great, amazing job on it. That's fantastic. That that was the hugest cast and crew list I have ever for Bronzeville that I've ever heard for an audio drama. <laughs> yeah, it, it was pretty crazy. And it's so many people to manage. What was it like working on an audio drama that had like a caterer and a green room like that falls so far outside any of my experience of production <laughs> right like i was my own caterer when i was in college and then for our first city we always cooked for ourselves oh yeah you I mean you, you you had to um this this was one of those things where it's actually not that far off because um it's basically was just a hybrid between uh, a more professional film shoot and uh, some of the studio sessions have already done. So it was sort of like a, a hybridization to where you, when you have that many people coming on and off set, you kind of do need to have someone else take care of catering. Um, so th that was the nice thing is there was the, the sort of hierarchy and delegation command uh, of, a, of a normal big size production. Because really, when you have a, a cast like that, you have to make sure you have a good support structure. And one of them, one of those big support things is food. People like to be well fed. <laughs> Um, it's, it's a good way to make actors happy, uh, is through their stomachs. And, uh, yeah, so that was, I mean, it was a great, great experience. Uh, took a lot of management on my part because, well, number one, I never had to arrange, uh, the schedules and things like that. Cause I did the, the line producing slash I was the producer of it. So I also had to like arrange the schedule of when everything was in this big old huge production with a voice cast of like 50 actors in two weeks. Which was just crazy. What What have you learned about delegating responsibilities to other people in like a production capacity? Um, I keep on thinking I've learned my lesson, but I never have uh, about delegating to other people because what it inherently always happens is sometimes when you delegate something, it takes longer than if you actually did it yourself. So that's always the trick is trying to better train people. And that's where I'm constantly trying to improve my you know, company and, and the way I operate is like trying to train more and more people so that it's easier for them to uh, like make things happen and you can rely on them more and, and, and get the stuff done. Because uh, when you're dealing with like really complex uh, sessions and things like that, if somebody messes something up, it can even cost you a large amount of time. So it's, it's kind of, yeah, delegation is hard, but you have to do it and you have to divide is the only way that you can really conquer. So and be able to take on more, more responsibilities. I remember hearing uh, in an interview uh, that you were moving away from editing a little bit and focusing more on writing and direction. Was what was what was one of the harder things for you to delegate away? Uh, that editing. Oh, editing was more difficult for you. Oh, it still in many ways is hard to get away. Um, I didn't step up to the editing plate on Bronzeville. Um, I wasn't really. Uh, the workflow that I, I had set in place. But for lockdown, like I couldn't, because it was my baby, I couldn't step away from the keys and was constantly like there making sure stuff was was the way it I, I wanted it. Um, that's something where like I am, I'm such a uh, very nitpicky editor. 
Um, and I've been editing for so long, like literally I've been editing for over 20 years, video and audio and stuff and have way more than 10,000 hours behind the, the desk of, of editing stuff. And, you know, every single episode of We're Alive, um, all 48 chapters was was I, I had my hands doing a lot of that in almost every single chapter every week. So it just that's what burned me out was just doing way too much editing. Um, but it is hard to let go and it is because it is the direct manipulation before someone's ears. So I'm, I'm constantly diving back in there to try and, um, move things around, test things. Timing is something that's really hard to teach. Timing is almost impossible to teach. And also being able to know what a good performance is versus a not so good performance. It's so slight and so, uh, based on aesthetic that like a storyteller, has to know exactly what he's what he's going for. So that those are the types of things that I kind of will have to step in and you know check lines here and there. And and a lot of it just has to do with um, just being able to kind of get the vision across and and communicate with an editor. So um, as as audio dramas can burn out editors very quickly, um, we we do end up going through them pretty fast because we're live is pretty intense. You're teaching classes at, at uh, Chapman, right? I am. Uh, I teach at Chapman uh, Audio Techniques, and I taught audio theater, uh, kind of a pilot course that I did uh, during interterm. And I also have uh, – we have interns at the company that I actually do regular classes with, teaching them audio theory and stuff like that. Sort of going on the, the note of, like, training up the crew to better, you know, create an army, basically, of people who can do this stuff at the company. <laughs> that's that's phenomenal, Casey. Well, thank you. It, it it sometimes works. It sometimes doesn't. It's it because it takes a lot to train up uh, people and and start them uh, into the craft, and it takes a lot of dedication too. So it helps to have that along with like because uh, we're doing programs through like Cal State Fullerton right now. So they're actually like through the school and they visit our location, and we have to make sure we have like training regiments and things like that. That's really cool. How how is teaching? How do you like it? I love it. I in some ways I like it more than creating sometimes because you're creating creators. So it's like, it's almost like a force multiplier of art. <laughs> um, so that's kind of, that's kind of a fun perspective is you get to push people out there. But I will say the flip side of the coin is sometimes you'll get people who don't want to learn and they don't care. And um, like, I have this thing where I don't like to teach by PowerPoint because I feel it's lazy. And some people are like, don't like that you don't teach by PowerPoint because it makes it easy to take notes. And you know, so you always deal with different types of students who who approach it. And I, I come from a place of passion. So I, I hope that students do as well. But I know that they all kind of don't. A lot of the work that you have done kind of falls into the action adventure or horror action category where there's a lot of dynamic character action. There's a lot of character movement. There's a lot of blocking. Um, it is not two heads in a blank room discussing. There's like a lot of um, character object and character on character and character on environment interaction. Yeah. How do you systematically think about those interactions? Um, I kind of, this is one of those things where you do let the sound be the character in the story where I actually kind of let the environments, uh, I, I dictate the story around the environments in some ways where I'm trying to change the soundscape where we can keep the story moving forward and dynamically changing so that the action sort of moves forward. So in some ways, you kind of have to build the story first to make it so these characters go into all these various different places um, that make sense. So you sort of put the motivation in the plot in, in one regard. Um, 
And in the second regard, you always, uh, I'm always looking to, to constantly making sure that the characters are doing something. And if you're picking moments where they're doing something, it's usually in the middle of action. And I, I usually just try to jump in those moments. Uh, it's sort of like the, the, the stuff that they try and teach you in the film screenwriting world is, you know, cut the fat, just go to the action, get to the place that we need to, you know, only need to be at the time. And so that's what I try and incorporate a little bit is that and, and always be uh, aware of how you can make sound tell this action of what's going on. So like in lockdown, you have said that you wanted to aim for this feeling of claustrophobia. Yeah. How do you how do you get across the the feeling of claustrophobic action that people are running down narrow jail hallways pursued by like an enormous zombie and they don't have like a lot of elbow room? How do you how do you conceive of an action set piece with those constraints? Um so, well one of the biggest things that I would try and do if doing that is um I would make the just the space in itself the reverb sharp meaning that it's closer in it's it's like you you're already knowing what kind of small space you're you're in just from the initial like the the way that the their voice bounces off a wall will tell you how small a space it is then i'm going to start like removing things like wind and any sort of like really nice warm atmospherics and i'm going to replace everything with very cold uh, floors, uh, hands touching of walls. That's very, that's not cloth, very little cloth movement, very hard surfaces, um, to try and give it that, that feeling that you're stuck inside this place. And also the chains were a big element in the beginning to make sure it's accented. And, um, we even like went to the extent of building a metal bench. That was the exact bench that they would be sitting on to best interpret and and tell people how you're stuck on these benches in this small confined area right now. And then you accent it even a little more by making the characters hot and exclaim like, "Oh, a breeze!" When you open a door and when it's closed, it's closed off from you. So the sort of those elements kind of all can can combine to make a listener feel like they're in that small space. Um, and then even more things you can do, like writing, is you can just extend the scenes very long like we have very long scenes in lockdown so you don't really get a break it feels like you're in this space for uh, an extended period of time so lots of little elements just to give that one core uh feeling through sound cool so i noticed the credits for lockdown included a prison research consultant it's true what kind of research did you do i, I went to jail <laughs> <laughs> um I, I legitimately went to jail. Um, I didn't go into a cell because uh, I went into a real live jail with actual people in it. And I could really take no notes per se. I mean, I wrote down a couple of things on a, on a piece of paper afterwards. I, I don't know if I was able to take my notes out of there or not, or just the process of writing them down helped. I can't remember which one of those it was, but they're pretty restrictive. Um, but I was able to like get the feeling of what it's like in the space and if to hear it and see it and uh, really get an idea of also how to use the space in terms of audio, like the elevators not having buttons. These were really great holes I could dig the characters in deeper in. And, and really understanding how a jail works was sort of like pivotal to understanding how to make sure that it's uh, very hard for them to get out, but also the way they get out feasible and an actual solution if you were to get stuck in jail. Did you, did you talk to anybody while you were in jail? You mean like inmates? Inmates, yeah. They were a little restrictive on me talking to them. It's one of those kind of rules. 
Um, and you just sort of observe. So I would be observing all their interactions and things like that. And then I also did more research, like watching documentaries in different jails, different levels of jail, what different colors meant and sort of made my own color scheme and um, sort of really devising how these places worked. I even went to the extent of like uh, getting the manual of how they make prisons, um, the materials and the angles of the rooms and things like that, because they're all designed a certain way to not let blind corners be a factor, which means that it's something to consider in sort of like the zombie maze that you're going to create. That you'll always be able to see them coming? Yeah, that you'll always be able to see them coming. There's very few places besides doors that are that are traps, which is why I put a trap at a door. Sure. You learn where the blind spots are. <laughs> How much of your military training do you think played a role in in laying out the jail tactically like that? I think it plays a huge role in just shaping a little bit of, of how I perceive um, uh, an area because it is it is like you're breaking it down like a threat assessment. Like, okay, where are your ins and outs? Where is everything? Who are where are the resources? Um, what sort of like alarm systems? Where would be the power? Like all the the things that I would think about is sort of like came into how I devise the the plan to to get them out of there and and make it all. The mechanics of it all kind of work. So it is a little, a little bit of like military strategy in there. Um, and also it's it's kind of like a puppet master where you get to keep the tactics in there, but manipulate them in a way to where it exactly fits your plan and a layout of what you want. It's kind of a, the story crafting in there a bit. Sure. I, I've just I was thinking about that because, you know, listening to you for the last, I don't know, seven, eight years. The, the it's interesting to see the way that you perceive physical spaces. Yeah, it's not normal. Because <laughs> sometimes it feels like listening, it's like, oh, KC is like field stripping like an M16 and reassembling it to figure out what is inside this tower or what is inside this jail. That's kind of, I think, how my brain works. And I've come to accept it. It's kind of, I'm very, very mechanical because I have like an engineering degree that like goes down to the core of components of like resistors and capacitors and transit, like all that stuff I had to learn for my uh, broadcast engineering degree. And it's, it is very mechanical. And I, I kind of have to, it's a weird balance of the art and science of, of everything. So it's, it is a weird combination. I think it's also one of the reasons why I love doing this medium so much, because it is a mix of art and science, because sound is so technical. And but the, the writing and story is so artistic that it's this perfect blend of you know, I can jump in any seat and I get my own feel of, you know, satisfaction, editing or writing, you know. And that's that's what you did in Iraq, right? You were a broadcast engineer? Yeah, uh, I was a broadcast engineer, did satellite transmissions, uh, video broadcasts. We did radio uh, stuff like if you ever see the show Good Morning Vietnam, not the show, the movie uh, <laughs> with Robin Williams. We sort of like did that for uh, Iraq, setting up Freedom Radio and, and some of the repeater dishes and things like that in the country or repeater towers, excuse me. And if I'm if I remember right, did you meet Scott Marvin in Iraq? No, actually, we were part of the unit beforehand, but we did spend uh, our own time in the sandbox. Uh, and he was actually uh, Scott, who plays Bert, if anybody's a fan of We're Alive. Um, he was uh, one of the sergeants in my unit. So, yeah, no, he is uh, definitely was integral to uh, the radio station there. And he did a lot of voices and stuff like that, which is why when I kind of came back overseas and I told him I was making a radio drama, he's like, please, this sounds amazing. I'll I'll work with you wherever you want to go. And I'm like, sweet. 
And yeah. Like I hadn't listened to the original We're Alive in years. And when I listened to Lockdown recently, I remembered just immediately all the characters in the frame narrative, especially Bert. Yeah. Because their voices were so distinct. Yeah. How do you work with actors to create distinct, memorable voices? Because it can be such a struggle in audio fiction to make ensemble scenes that are legible. Yeah. You know, like having five or six characters in one scene and then remembering like what name and personality corresponds to which voice. That's a lot of planning. That's a lot of logistics in the script in some ways where you kind of you don't want to put too many people in one scene um, and you want to make sure whenever somebody's in the scene that they're actually talking and engaging. Otherwise, they disappear in the background and really casting people that have uh, different polar patterns. I, mean, I used the wrong term there. I meant like frequency response of someone's voice, like what they're like. My voice is very low. It's very bassy, doesn't get too high, whereas someone else's voice might be a lot higher, so they're in a different like frequency spectrum, if that makes sense. Sure. And I, I say polarity in this, the frequency spectrum, meaning that these are two like opposite poles, where the, the frequency spectrums are, are further apart. Um, so basically, you're just trying to create a little bit more like, oh, if I have somebody who's uh, a deep voice character, I can have someone who's a little bit lighter. Maybe we can put an accent in here, change the gender, change the age. It's about making sure you vary the characters as much as possible to get those really distinct voices to be unique. Uh, and that's what we did with We're Alive was we cast voices that were those unique ones and even changed roles to kind of fit them uh, in the story. Maybe this is a different question now that you've got a casting director. But I was going to say, like, how do you work with people to make sure that their voices are distinctive? Whenever you're working with a casting director, they're going to present to you people uh, that they think is good for the role in terms of voice quality and also performance. So, you mean, you already get some pre-filter in there. Um, and then you kind of have to listen to those voices in the recordings and kind of play them off of each other and see which ones will work together. And sometimes it doesn't always work. And it, it's just something that you kind of have to adjust and maybe even later on recast. Um, but one of the other things is... Uh, I think another reason why um, the, our scenes kind of flow as well as they do is because of the personal touches of interacting with each other in the same place. Um, it's interesting how if you bring up two voices and they're engaging with each other but not in the same place versus in the same place and trying to edit them together, how much they just seem like they're at odds with each other in one and they are complementary in the other. So it's weird how like even though you'd have like six voices, if they're all in the same place – responding with the same cadence and and like uh energy as each other they kind of blend together so it's it's not just one aspect it's a lot i was curious about some of the the studio techniques you've been using the past couple of years like you've got your shout station your crawl station so <laughs> what, what those are is the the two microphones that are you know you have one designated place uh, part of the studio where the gain is turned way down so you don't cause everything to blow out when someone yells. You have a microphone on the ground so that it gets the kind of scrunched diaphragm sound of someone kind of hunched over. Are, are there other things that you've developed since? Did you like the way those worked? Uh, it, it all depends really on the scene and the story. Um, I've, I've tried a whole bunch of different experiments with audio, um, both with recording. We did a lot of uh, really interesting on-location stuff recently for, on Catalina. Uh, for a future project. So we're, we're constantly trying new things. Uh, I'm actually even developing a rig right now for some special recording techniques to do on a horse uh, for Gold Rush. So it's, it's, we're constantly trying to find new ways of doing that. And, and inside the recording studio, like the double mic thing is actually something that um, 
we worked into our workflow where you would actually have like a left and a right channel. Uh, you just work with it as stereo, even though it's two different mics. Um, and then you have a fallback to go on because interestingly enough, from these experiments of sound, you find out that uh, shotgun mics for some people work better than U87s, which was not something that we expected. Uh, so people's voices react differently with different mics and you have to sort of uh, check for that in, in high risk situations where you have, you know, highbrow talent. So, yeah, so there's a lot of different techniques that we're trying out, uh, especially uh, dealing with the Hollywood system where you only have that one option to get that one take and you need to move on quickly because the studio is costing you a fortune. Sure. Uh, so related question to you setting up a horse rig. Yeah. I assume people will be riding horses in We're Alive Gold Rush. Casey, will there be zombie horses? Zombie horses are impossible in our world. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because it's only a, a human, a human-based pathogen? Correct. Yeah, it's only human-based. So that one, that, that was a pretty easy one there. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's a, it's only human-based. So uh, the we've established in the world that it doesn't go to other species. So unfortunately, no zombie horses. That's fine. That's fine. I don't even care. But there's some really tough horses. <laughs> one in particular. I'm excited for that. And the Catalina Island thing is for Scout's Honor, if I don't miss my guess? Yeah. Yeah, that's the one that's going... Uh, after Gold Rush, which we're working on right now. There's still a lot of things up in the air uh, in terms of the, the finance and the funding because we've worked with some different companies in the past, so we're, we're looking at some new options uh, for this next go-ahead. Because what I, my goal is to kind of find a good home that we can continually do things like this on a regular basis and uh, can help support that. And while we're doing that, we also have like side projects going on with uh, Patreon and things like that. So we're 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 constantly trying to to do more and get those atmospheres, but unfortunately, you know, money is the uh, the limiting factor sometimes for the many of these projects, which is you know just par for the course. I think for now, I think eventually we'll we'll we're finding a way to resolve that problem. So you raised like fifty five thousand dollars for lockdown, and the last time you talked to Fred, you were talking about how crowdfunding can serve as a powerful signal to other funders that $50,000 worth of audience buy-in represents a real hunger for content. Yeah. Um, I was curious, did the success of Lockdown's campaign play into you being tapped for Bronzeville? Or was that an entirely separate, two separate timelines? Uh, I would say that that's actually probably uh, something that contributed to it because one of the things about, you know, looking at this stuff is being able to put a dollar and cent value on it. And that signifies to uh, a consumer and an advertiser that, oh, hey, people are willing to buy this sort of stuff and uh, and listen to it on, you know, every sort of device that they have. So that, yeah, it definitely is something that 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 helped uh, contribute to it because it put a dollar and cent value, I think, in terms of the metrics. And it, it, it gave us a high evaluation for the first time um, where people are able to see like, oh, this is, you know, a, a popular enough show to, to warrant a $55,000 uh, drama, which is about the cost of, you know, that production, which actually was a little bit more than that. But it's just that's how much some of the stuff can cost when you start to get to these higher ends of unions and things. If somebody gave you like a an independent film budget, which I don't know, what is yeah. that these days? Like five, five million dollars? Oh, give me a million and see what I can do. A million. What would you do? What would you do with a million bucks? I could. Oh, you should. I, for a million dollars, I can do a very big series, <laughs> like a good series for a million dollars for sure. Um, so if anybody wants to uh, 
buying an, a series, uh, I can do it uh, and do it under a million and we could make a huge thing out of it. So please contact me. Yeah. <laughs> but no, really, I could I would I would probably be able to do an entire uh, multi-season uh, with some amazing actors, amazing stories and uh, incredible audioscapes that few people would ever hear. Like if I I would love to work with a budget that size because then I wouldn't be worrying about money at every corner, which is sort of like what you, you kind of do at this level is you're very you have to cut every corner to make the the bottom lines meet and sort of feed the kids. Have you, have you ever done any on location recording? Is that what you were doing on Catalina? Yeah, on location recording I think is great for atmospheres, uh bad for characters and actors. Interesting. For me, I don't think it's a really good uh working environment in terms of focusing on dialogue uh because the space plays too many factors in terms of interrupting your recording. And I also feel like in terms of the production process, the amount of time you spend cleaning up and working with something that was recorded improperly on location, uh, you can spend more doing soundscape work uh, with things recorded in studio. So I think it's better time spent. And I think also um, overall being able to hear someone's voice directly in front of a microphone is better for uh, where most people are listening, which is in their cars and headsets where it's already hard to hear. So, Casey, you're a pioneer of American audio fiction. Well, thank you. Of course. <laughs> I mean, it's true. As I've taken the reins of this show, I, I've come to learn more and more about the giants of immersive audio drama from England and Ireland and Germany, from all over the world. And I'm curious, who do you listen to for craft inspiration? Or do you take craft inspiration more from film, television, books, and music? I actually, I, to be honest, I get more inspiration from film uh, and television and music than I do from, uh, and just actually just people and atmospheres and life than I do from other audio dramas. I, I have this thing where it's really hard for me to listen to um, books on tape or audio dramas anymore because of the amount I do for work, where it's almost the minute I put on headsets and try and tune into something, it's, it's, it, it kind of broke me, and I hate to say it in many ways, uh, to where it's hard, very hard to listen to something where if I'm commuting, it's easy then again. But if I'm like, it's hard for me to focus and just sit down anymore um, because it does become like work for me in, in many ways. And that's it is sad, but um, I generally, um, I love to, to go from other mediums and bring them into this one. So in some ways, it kind of keeps me fresh and not borrowing from the same thing, just kind of going to other sources. So what are some things, what are some, some films and television shows that have been inspiring you lately? What are some formal conventions that you were like, ooh, that's tasty. I want to bring it into the world of sound. Oh, oh, man. this Because um, to be honest, I have not seen a lot of great stuff lately. Uh, <laughs> and I, I hate to say that, but I've been like, every time I seem to see a movie, I've been ripping it apart lately or being like, oh, man, that was really quite bad. Um <laughs> Uh, I have to go back to Game of Thrones uh, okay. is always one of my my tried and trues. And one of the reasons why is because I like long form storytelling. Um, I like what um, the showrunners are doing with that. I like um, how they're basically taking the adaptation of it onto, onto the smaller screen. I'm very curious to see how they're doing it, what characters they leave out, what characters they focus on. Um, and seeing what they make their own, it's, it's really, I really love it because it's, it's, it's one of those adaptation crafts and it's an adaptation craft that no one's done before because it's, it's going beyond the book, which has never happened before. So it's like, it's, it's almost like we're watching an experiment happen in front of us, sort of like lost, 
um, good or bad. And we'll see how it ends uh, in that in that capacity. Um, but Lost was another one of those uh, very big inspirational things for me that sort of set me on a path to um, to writing the giant narrative rather than the small narrative because I, I discovered of myself I kind of like the bigger worlds and and dealing with things uh, in that capacity rather than uh, limiting them to like a movie script or something like that. So I think Lost was also a big inspiration of, of what to what works and also what doesn't work in terms of the bigger storytelling. Let's go back to that imaginary million bucks. Let's say you get. <laughs> like, I like it already. <laughs> <laughs> let's say okay, so you get you get um, the license to a um, you know an, a property of your choice and a million bucks to adapt it with. What do you what do you make? Can I make my own? Yeah, sure. Okay, I I uh, I, I make my own. Okay, now let's let's. <laughs> let's let's take away that constraint though Aww. and say it's adaptation time because i mean i, I yeah, presumably you know you have you have like a, a treasure vault of ideas of your own that you want to produce but let's say you have to adapt something is there anything that you've always had like a a hunger to say like ah yeah i really want to translate this book into oh, in, into the audio drama world um <sighs> give me harry potter yeah yeah, give me Harry Potter. <laughs> All right, sweet. I think I could do it. I think I could do it. I think I think I would do Jim Dale Proud, which is, uh, in my opinion, one of the best narrators of all time, um, who did the original Harry Potter series, which was sort of like one of my inspirations to come into the field. So um, I think I'm a big enough fan and a bit, big enough audiophile and storyteller to, to take on a task like that. And I don't know. I think that... Um, I think that maybe a million dollars would need to be increased given the spectrum of that kind of project. But sure, I think that that would be if I'm going to shoot for the stars, might as well shoot for a real bright one. <laughs> how do you make something scary? What scares you and how do you like to scare other people? You scare other people with the unknown and sound is the trigger of all fear, or most all fear for humans. So I say that the best way to, to to scare people is to sort of give them that thing that they're not seeing as their basis of fear uh, and build off of that. And uh, I think there's ways of doing that. I think there's ways of doing it in the audio world that have not been done yet that I'm kind of playing with right now that I've, I don't want to divulge too much with. But um, but audio is, is one of the precursors because it, it senses danger for anybody where – you hear a car accident. The first thing you're going to hear is a tire squeech. It's it's what sets your heart off. So sound is is like has a direct and fast connection to our heart in a way that our eyes are slow. So I think it's something that you can really play with in the horror space, um, but delicately in some ways. How do you mean delicately? Well, there's a sound is very easy to become dissonant, meaning that like you can. Um, go into the noise level of someone's uh, ear vocabulary very quickly uh, because you could just annoy the hell out of them by having a tone in the background for more than five minutes or, for, you know, more than a minute, like an alarm going off. That's why I blow up all my alarms in my stories as much as possible um, <laughs> because, yeah, it does get annoying because uh, you can close your eyes. You can't close your ears. So you basically have to keep your listener in a very delicate space. Uh, and if you violate that space, and their ears, then you won't get that trust back. 
how do you work with a composer to create sound environments that are unsettling or scary? You lock them in the basement, you give them very little food and water, and you hope that they work well. Sure, checks out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, what I like to try and do is I will give them... Sometimes I have a specific piece in mind. I'll be like, this is what I like here. Something like this. And sometimes I have no idea what I want until you kind of give me an idea or give me a melody or something, and we can talk about it a little bit. Um, Lockdown was very much like that with working with Daniel Burkhoff Hopkins. was, And one of the reasons why I love working with him is... Um, I love giving him my stuff and being like, okay, go with this and see what you can come up with. Uh, and he does, he's, he can come up with stuff on the fly. He does improvisational music, meaning that like I've worked with him doing where people are performing live and he's making up music on the fly with them on stage. Very cool. Yeah. He's so good that he can just come up with stuff uh, almost like, as you can imagine it in the story. So it's really amazing to work with him. Um, and he just really knows how to match the world and the way that I like it because sound and music have like, they have to play an equal part at the table with dialogue. And especially with this medium is like dialogue has to have one portion and sound has to have another and music another. And if any one of them is like overriding each other for too long, they, they, they lose focus. And so it's like a, a fair balance between all three elements and having a composer that knows how to do that is really, uh, I think very important. Uh, so last question is, do zombies represent anything to you? Um, I can I can elaborate on that question if you want. Sure. I mean, I, I know where you're going to go to, and I'm I'm probably not going to give you a really... Because you're talking about the, like the Romero zombies where it's like society looking at them and that. I, like, I'm so outside of horror. It's, it's I, I, I frighten real easy. And so the, it's always been like a big inertial shove to get me into horror. Um, especially visual horror, because I like I think in that in that to that extent, I think sound horror is easier for me, even if it's a little bit more scary and resonant, um, just because I have such a visual memory and like I remember stuff visually really well um, that I, I, I'm actually pretty ignorant of most zombie cinema. I, so I guess my question is, you know, this is going to be a real surface level critique, but sure, like zombies are people project so much stuff onto zombies like do they represent unthinking consumerism do they represent or 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 people's response to zombies people put a lot of um like weight onto does it represent you know the the triumphant possibilities of individualism or is it really about like can you you can only defeat zombies if you band together right you know is it about individualism or communalism like what does all of that mean to you i think there's other i think there there are other themes in we're alive that i play on um more so than say the the zombie themes like the, the characters have their own themes and arcs and the people of the stories i think have more themes and arcs and i don't think i really uh the the antagonists actually have their own as well but i think more or less, the one of the big reasons why I chose zombies in well, 2009 was I felt like they were not done well. I felt like this was an antagonist that has never been used properly, um, that has always been sort of taken advantage of. And in many ways, um, I, I, I drew a lot of parallels to it in terms of just like the combat zone, because... Um, in the combat zone, you have red zones and green zones and the red zones, anything can happen in the green zones. You're supposedly safe, but still anything can happen there. So it's like, um, so that element of it was something that I wanted to like put into the world. Um, but the other thing is like, just, I feel like the zombie antagonists were never used well. They were always just like mindless and not 
actually a full force that they could have been because zombies are are the one of the most horrifying thing about zombies that most people don't think about is they look like you and me. So people's initial reactions of like killing somebody is not going to be good. I mean, everyone's like, oh, yeah, we zombie invasion. I'm going to have that. No, it's like even right now, like what if that actually happened? The blurred lines between sanity and insanity would become so skewed. People wouldn't know when to pull the trigger. Like so they don't know their enemy. And if something happens so fast, you couldn't respond. And so there's so much that you can play off of on that level. And then there's the other thing of like what happens to you when you've become one? Like what is that process? Are you still in there? Is is are you something new? Are you something different? What's going on with that? So I felt like there was so many uh possibilities in this antagonist that have never been used uh and in terms of scientific reasoning, like finding another way to sort of make this really cool and fun. Um, and I, I also felt like nothing had come on TV that even came close to survival horror. And then Walking Dead came out and then we changed the plan. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I mean, that, that's where, that's where it came from, but, uh, and it evolved into sort of what it is now, but it kind of stemmed from that, that one sort of goal of to make them something different, to make them something that people had never experienced before. So is it less about what the zombies represent? and more about the human character's response to them? Exactly, yeah. Uh, there are, I mean, there are infected characters that have their own arcs and their own motivations and their own reasonings for doing things. So that then itself is like they become then people, just a different type. And I actually don't even like to think of them as infected because you think of infected as people just being sick. I, I try to classify and, and instill the idea into people that they're another species now that we have this is an evolution on a different tree branch we now have to share uh the same space and they don't like that so it's it's a fight uh of survival which is pretty much the you know the basis for what is we're alive sweet thank you casey well that ended succinctly like that i liked it (laughs) that was really good casey whalen thank you so much for coming on rdr this was an absolute treat Oh, thank you, David. This was uh, a long time coming, and I am more than happy to come back and tell you more about any future audio adventures, because I got a whole bunch of cool stuff coming. Hell yeah. If you want to follow along with what KC is making next, you can follow the work he and his team do at we'realive.com, or follow them on Twitter at We're Alive. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Radio Drama Revival, as we continue with Spooptober. If you like what you hear, drop us a line on that internet. We're at Radio Drama on Twitter. It'd be incredible if you could leave us a review in Apple Podcasts. You could give us a five-star rating like Good Lou Fines, who says, quote, I love this podcast so much. I work from home and listen to this podcast, and I found myself tearing up with how happy I am that I get to listen to stories without having to look at a screen. Or you could give us a one-star review like Blue Meanie Face, who says, Trite, big, broad, dumb strokes you disagree get in there and now some spoopy credits elaborating on the bear <laughs> skeletons i put up last time our theme music is danger did you do by dj stranger danger whose music can be found on soundcloud our line producer is matthew boudreau who was a werewolf or as his french canadian forebears would have called it a lugaroo he stalks through the streets of buffalo at night eating beef on wax sandwiches men with sin in their hearts garbage plates. Nope, sorry, that's Rochester. That explain upstate New York to me. Eli McElveen, a vampire, is our interviews producer. 
His husband Sean is a photographer, which is convenient because Eli sleeps in the dark room, dangling upside down from the ceiling among the damp exposures. Sean only takes pictures of necks. Our researchers are Heather Cohen and Monique Boudreau. They are goblins who live in a Sherman tank they salvaged from a military wrecking yard. The tank gets approximately 10 miles to the gallon, but they make it work, stealing mailboxes and ammunition as they slowly meander their way across the country. Our executive producer is Fred Greenhouge, also known as Nyalu and the Funky Bunch. Nyalu is a demon sorcerer from the ninth realm of Fni, and he is currently in possession of my immortal soul, which is ultimately fine because I was not using it. He currently cannot be reached as he is on vacation in the astral plane. I'm your bright red portable steel ghoul box, David Reinstrom, and this has been Radio Drama Revival. All storytellers welcome. I feel like sometimes my Vincent Price and my Paul Lind kind of get cross-wired a little bit. It's me, Vincent Price. I'm in the center square. <laughs> you happy, Matt? You happy? The all-new Toyota RAV4 asks, what if? What if your ride was refined and rugged at the same time? Introducing the all-new RAV4 Hybrid. 208 combined horsepower and standard all-wheel drive make it the most powerful RAV4. Plus, with its head-turning style and breakaway speed, it's bound to change the way you think of a hybrid. The all-new RAV4 Hybrid. Toyota. Let's go places. Horsepower. Ratings achieved using the required premium and gasoline with an octane rating of 91 or higher. Premium fuel is not used. Performance will decrease. Hi, it's Jamie. Progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.